Hello, mamas, and welcome to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. I am so excited to have the incredible Jane Hardwick Collings on the podcast today. And we are covering all things from the menstrual cycle to the shamanic and spiritual dimensions of pregnancy. I know you're going to love this one. Enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with Physio Laura. Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. This lady has been on my hit list for probably the entire duration of my podcast. Her name is Jane Hardwick Collings. If you haven't heard of her before, please go and look her up. She is an incredible teacher, wise woman. Uh, she's just an amazing mentor in the space of rites of passage and menstruation and womanhood and pregnancy and motherhood and now also into menopause because that's her current phase of life. And she just teaches so beautifully, beautifully how to reclaim feminine knowledge, wisdom and power through reconnection with the women's mysteries. She has incredible offerings. She offers workshops in person, plenty of online offerings. And she also has an incredible app called the Spinning Wheels app, which I've personally used myself. And it's a beautiful way to connect in with your menstrual cycle, the moon cycle, nature cycles, and to really truly understand how we operate as females in this world, like really get to the crux of it. Not being on the pill and numbing out from what is actually our cycle, but really being in tune with it. And in this beautiful conversation with Jane, oh my gosh, we cover so many amazing topics and I feel like my favorite podcasts are the ones that I relate to the most in the moment. And I'm currently in my third trimester with my fourth pregnancy. And I am personally really diving into the spiritual realms of this pregnancy. And don't get put off if you don't associate with being a quote unquote woo person, because it's not that at all. Whatever name you give to it, it's that knowing that you have when you're pregnant, that strength you draw on, that inwardness that you feel called to go into. It's that intuition that feels strengthened. That is what I'm talking about and give it, call it whatever you want. But I am really diving into that, this pregnancy and the wisdom of my body and my womb and my baby and really leaning into what do I need to know for this pregnancy to up level, to be the best mother I can for this baby. And I love so much about how Jane talks about pregnancy as our teachers and births as our teachers. And to quote her, she says, we have the births we need to have to teach us what we need to know about ourselves, to take us to the next place on our life journey, our journey to wholeness. And I so believe this to be true. I think every birth, there is no wrong or right birth. It is just the birth we needed to take us to the next level. And I'm sure many women will resonate with that. So I know you're going to love this episode. If you love it, jump on over to at Physio Laura and let me know what your favorites were. And please go and follow at Jane Hardwick Collings. She is amazing. You will learn so much from her and I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Jane. I am honestly so stoked and honored to have you on today. You've been, yeah, a, a guest on my list for a very long time. I love how you speak about all of the topics we're going to cover today and I think you have such a unique, wise perspective on it and yeah, I'm just grateful to have you here. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Laura. It's a very big honor for me to be trusted in this way for you to share what I have to say with the women and people who follow you. So thank you and hello, everybody. <laughs> so we're going to kick off with talking about the menstrual cycle today or even taking one step back from that. I want you to talk about rites of passage because I think it's one of those things that we hear that term a lot, but I don't know if people truly understand what a rite of passage is, and also what they are over a women's lifespan, like all the different things. So I'd love for you to start there, and then we can dive a little bit more into each one. Sure. Okay. So a rite of passage is a phenomena that is not some new age invention. It's a traditional cultural process that happens many times in everybody's lives. So there are lots of rites of passage. It's basically a time of transformation when you change from who you are into the next version of yourself, never to return to that previous version. So there are cultural rites of passage and physical rites of passage. However, they're both co all cultural because they 
create culture, but I'll, I'll talk more about that in a second. But the cultural rights of passage are things like graduation, getting your first driver's license, getting your first car, uh, getting married, getting divorced, getting a new job, all of those sorts of things, which are huge in our lives, but you don't change physically. Now, the physical changes, the rites of passage, especially for women, are different to men. Now, when I say women, I'm meaning everybody who has a womb. And when I say men, I'm meaning those who don't. And I don't mean from a hysterectomy. So I'm just going to say women and men from now on. But please trust the inclusivity of those terms. But the thing about women's rites of passage is they're much more significant than men's. So... We have our physical rites of passage, and they are often called the women's mysteries or even the blood mysteries. So we have our own birth, how we're born, and then for women, menarche is the next one. So that's our first period. For boys, that's puberty. And both genders, all genders are going through adolescence, which is about becoming an adult, and that's a process. It's not an instant thing. And then the next rite of passage for women is their first sexual experience. Now, unfortunately, we know so many of us are sexually abused as children. So sometimes that first sexual experience may, may be abuse and, or maybe non-consensual, or maybe it's the planned connection. So whatever your experience is, so if there was abuse and non-consensual act, then that could be like one version of your first sexual experience. And then the one you choose could be your next one. And hopefully for many, it's just the one they choose. And then the next one after that, and then the menstrual cycles flowing all the way through all of these from now on, uh, all the pregnancies we have. Now, every pregnancy results in a birth, whatever ends a pregnancy is a birth. So an abortion is a birth because it ends a pregnancy. A miscarriage, which I don't like that term, and I think we need to stop using it because it implies that something wrong with mother, and there's so much guilt and all that around that too. So we just can call that loss, early pregnancy loss, and you know whenever it is in the pregnancy, and then the births that go through to term or nod or whatever. So every pregnancy results in a birth. So that's the next rite of passage, childbirth, and then menopause. So then death. Now, those are, the women's mysteries is really pulled in even closer to be menarche, birth, and menopause. So how a rite of passage works is that whatever happens during the rite of passage, and just to say that if you don't have a rite of passage, like on purpose, whatever happens is the rite of passage. And that's like the thing that we have to really get. It's not, oh, I can't be bothered. It just means whatever you do becomes your rite of passage. And then what happens with a rite of passage is that whatever happens, whatever's, whatever happens or doesn't, whoever's there, what they say, what they don't, what they don't, and what's going on in your world and immediate environment at the time, everything around this experience. So if we're, we're talking about menarche now, and the same can be applied for childbirth and the same can be applied for menopause. So whatever happens, all adds up to teach the individual going through the rite of passage on a subliminal level, which means you don't even realize you're being taught, our rites of passage enculturate us, which is just a nice way of saying brainwashed. They enculturate us with the experience teaching us how our culture values the next role we're going into. So at Menarch, that's womanhood. At childbirth, that's motherhood. At menopause, that's our wise woman years, the second half of our life. And so this all adds up and not only teaching us how our culture values that next role, but also therefore informing us how we have to behave to be accepted by the culture in our new role. I know and have heard so many women's menarch stories and they are not positive at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so that all adds up to teach the girl going through the experience, how she's supposed to behave, like quiet, hide your blood, don't talk about it, carry on business as usual, whatever you don't show any weakness and never leak. Don't leak. If you leak, you'll shame us all. 
blah, blah, blah. So rites of passage lead to each other. So one rite of passage leads to the next. And we can even see sometimes the impact of our own birth experience on our menarche and then our childbirth experiences and menopause, because especially with menarche, now this is priestess talk, she who was initiated into womanhood at the altar of menarche is the woman that shows up to the birth altar to give birth, already completely enculturated into how she's supposed to behave as a woman to be accepted by as a woman in our culture. So this is what I mean about cultural. So these rites of passage create culture on the inside by the mindset that the experience creates. So that's the beliefs, attitudes, and fears. And on the outside, because almost everybody has the same experience and everybody conforms to that. Now, mm -hmm. that all sounds pretty intense and it totally is, but it also gives us a clue of how to hack the culture. So we can change the future, change the trajectory of our culture by hacking the rites of passage, particularly men are. So 100%. all yeah. we have to do is just welcome our daughters and sons into adulthood. And we're talking about girls at men are in a positive and empowering way. Just one more thing, just like a newborn is hardwired to expect that its mother is going to look after it when it's born. So too is a girl hardwired to expect that at Menarch, her mother or mother equivalent is going to teach her all about the menstrual cycle, all about her body, show her what to do, help her with all her questions, and also teach her beyond the practical to the spiritual aspects of the menstrual cycle. So it's a very big time that sadly is missed by most. Oh, there's so much I want to talk about there, but it's just so interesting. And I'm sure the listeners will be reflecting on this after you've said it, but I reflect back to my experience of all of this and I was very unconscious to it until more recently in my third and fourth pregnancies, but I was born by a cesarean section. I'm quite, I'm quite right. I think in remembering my mum was under general anesthetic, there was separation at birth and things like that. My first experience of bleeding was shock and horror and what's going on. And I wasn't expecting it. I didn't have a lot of knowledge around it. And I don't necessarily remember shame, but it was very much like a brushed under the carpet. There wasn't a big discussion about it. It was like, here's how to catch the blood sort of discussion. These are your options. Pads and tampons were presented to me. And that's all I really remember in terms of the discussion around that. And there was very much that subconscious messaging of, like you said, hide it away. You don't rest. You just charge on through. Life is as per normal. You've just got to wear protection so that you don't leak, right? Because that is the worst possible thing that could ever happen is that you have blood on your pants or on your dress. And that's so highly embarrassing. And then I look at how that transferred into my experience of birth the first time around. And so much of it was around do what you're told, don't make a big deal, like outsource to somebody else because they know better. Also should say as well, I was on the pill for a big part of my bleeding years when I was younger because that's what was done. And I can't even remember the initial reason. It wasn't even for contraception. It was for low iron or something like that. And so I didn't really have any connection to my cycle until I was a grown woman with a couple of children already. And I got to my first birth and yes, I just look at that and I can see how that carried over into I didn't feel particularly empowered. I didn't feel very knowledgeable. I didn't feel tapped into myself. I very much externalized all of my trust and connection was very low. And I ended up with two cesarean section births for my first two pregnancies, which were fine. But in hindsight, like I really wasn't connected to myself at all. And I look at how I was in my third birth and I'm so connected. I had the most amazing home birth experience. And I feel like this is where so much of this is now coming to the forefront of my mind and, you know, I'm really thinking about my birth imprint and these rites of passages. And I always joke like, God help my daughters now because they're going to have such a different experience knowing what I know now. And I just think that's so powerful rather than sitting in, oh, I wish it was different for me or whatnot. Just being, I'm so happy. I know more now. And I'm so happy women like you are out there teaching that there's another way that menstrual shame should not be around. Like, that women shouldn't be embarrassed by what our bodies do. In fact, we're amazing. We are legends. Like what our bodies do is just amazing. I, I, every time I bleed now, I'm like, 
great and a legend. Oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I make a point of it in front of my children as well. I want that blood and I educate them and I tell them, and mommy probably needs a bit more rest now. And this is what my body's doing. And I just think, oh, this is so amazing to be able to change this for the generation coming up next. So I just think for anyone who's listening who goes, damn, I wish I had a different experience or I wish I knew more. You do now and you get to change that for the people beyond, which I think is really amazing. So I'm just curious, this is a bit of a side note, but I'm just curious to know for you, Jane, what was your experience of Menarch? Because like, how did you get into this work? Did you come from a place of not knowing any different or did you have to come from a place of the shame and the keep this hidden behind closed doors and then you've had to turn that around for yourself? Totally. That's what I had to do. Exactly what you said. So my Menarch um, started with me being the last one in my friendship group to get my period. So I carried around pads in my school bag for two years, waiting and waiting. It wasn't that late. It was, it's never late, right? It's when it's, when it is. I, I was 14 and a half. So it wasn't like very old and still well within normal but I was waiting. So I had this whole waiting, waiting thing, thinking that I was uh, less than, or maybe something was wrong with me or whatever, because I was the last, but that was just what was going on in my teenage head. But my actual experience of my menarch is outrageous. I was on a bus with both my grandmothers, which I'd never been on a bus with both my grandmothers ever before. We were traveling from South Australia through Victoria to New South Wales. And I can't even remember the details of why, but I got my period on the bus. And I, of course, I had my stuff and I was sitting with my grandmas and I went to the toilet up in the back of the bus, those horrible little cupboards. And there was the blood. And I told my grandma, oh my, my period started. I can't remember exactly what I said. Have you got what you need? And yes, I have. And blah. So. Then when we got home, my mother, unbeknownst to me and her not even knowing that my blood had come necessarily at that moment, had changed my bedroom. She, she changed it from a, a little girl's bedroom into a big girl's bedroom. So I, it was like without even realizing this was going to be the thing that was going to make a big difference, like she'd repainted my bedside table in like fluoro lime green, which was some kind of a attractive color at the time. So the way I interpreted that was that I was traveling from state to state, let's say not just um, on a country, but a state of mind or being with the grandmothers. And the imprint of that was that maybe I carried the grandmother's support of, of helping other women move from state to state. I don't mean countries yeah. within a country. So that, but then I didn't know that at the time. And I had, I remember I had the menstrual cycle from hell is what I thought compared to all my friends. I had heaps of pain. I was taking painkillers all the time. And I went on the pill when I was 17 because my mother said to me, you're having sex, aren't you? Let's go to the doctor and put me on the pill. And I was on the pill for eight years and went off it to have my first baby. So, um, my menstrual cycle and my menstrual cycle experience and the being on the pill is just that same typical story of so many of us. But in terms of when I woke up to the menstrual cycle and its effects it was way later when as a midwife, and I became a midwife when I was 25 um, and was a home birth midwife for 30 years, but somewhere along the line, probably in my uh, late 20s, I was very involved with midwifery education, like speaking at conferences and all of that kind of stuff. And I presented a paper about the menstrual cycle being helpful for preparation for birth. And it was like a whole new idea. Like in midwifery training, like back when I did it, there was like no mention of the menstrual cycle. Like, so putting the menstrual cycle together with anything else, which is the same for all of the things in our world, was a whole new move. But I learned so much about the menstrual cycle and I apprenticed to the menstrual cycle, shall we say. And yeah, so I learned about that much later. Mm, I love that. I think it's so beautiful to hear your story and 
You weren't just put on this planet knowing all these things. You went on your own journey to discover this. And I think that's really beautiful to hear that. And I'm thinking, let's dive into how the culture is around menstruation at the moment and the ways in which we could really celebrate this and really help empower our young women. Because I know that a lot of women listening might be going, yeah, I hear that. I hear the menstrual shame and I hear all of that, but but what next? Like, how do I embrace? What if I've got a daughter coming up into this? What do I do? I can imagine it feels really clunky if you don't have anyone paving the way for you. I wonder if you could maybe talk into how you would celebrate that for your granddaughters or Mm -hmm. how you would educate them or help assist them through that rite of passage now compared to maybe what the cultural norm is at the moment. Sure. Firstly, just let me say that it's during rites of passage where we also experience our red thread trauma. Yes, let's talk about that too. Yes. Okay. Female generational trauma gets passed down from mother to daughter to daughter without anybody even knowing it or wanting it to happen necessarily. It's just the way it goes. And so most of us would have been initiated into womanhood at Menarch in the way that our mother was because she didn't know any different. And then that would be how her mother was and back and back to the beginnings of the patriarchy when the whole story of the menstrual cycle was went underground basically because they're trying to that in, encourage menstrual shame, et cetera. So I just want to say something about menstrual shame as well. but. Just this whole idea that it's only really in the last, I don't know, let's say 10 years or so that women like you, maybe a bit longer, have gone, oh my God, I don't want my daughter to have the same experience that I did. So what do I have to do? So the first thing you have to do is heal your own menarch, because if you don't heal your own menarch, you're just unconsciously passing on the messages that you adopted at that time. And then you need to do the thing where you teach her all about it. And like you already are right from when they're little. You don't go to the toilet on your own, right? You can't, you, you must be doing some incredible gymnastics if you're trying to hide ta- changing a tampon or whatever. Yeah. It's so There's no see. privacy at all. No, it's a teaching opportunity, especially for boys. This is, mummy's bleeding now. Oh, good. That means we can rest today. Let's sit on the couch and read a book or we'll watch a movie today or whatever so that they start to see the rhythm that you make out of the menstrual cycle and that teaches them. So, And also with regard to the red thread or motherline female generational trauma, it just keeps going until one woman in the line says, whoa, this stops with me. I am not going to continue this trauma. I'm going to do my own inner work to heal that. So... Clearly, that's what you're doing and encouraging your listeners to do. So that is totally awesome. So before we go over the top of menstrual shame, I just want to say a couple of things about it. Menstrual shame is everywhere and everybody has it. You can't not have menstrual shame. Menstrual shame is one of, is part of the patriarchy. And I love to quote Sharon Maloney's words. She did a PhD about menstrual shame. She's a Queensland health worker. And she says that menstrual shame is one of the organizing principles of the patriarchy to maintain the oppression of women, which is so tragic. And we also know that anything to do with women or the feminine that's put down, feared, turned into a taboo, made invisible or made a joke of is a clue that it holds power. Blood, birth, menopause, just to name a few. I just want to say something else about menstrual shame and its impact that how it affects childbirth, which I know is a bit of a leap, but I I collected these quotes that Sharon made and I gave this presentation at the Birth Trauma Awareness Week up in uh, Lennox Head a, a little while ago. And she said that in her PhD about menstrual shame, how it affects childbirth, she says, menstrual shame engenders the perception of female physiology, therefore womanhood, as inherently flawed. Menstrual shame is a key factor that predisposes women to approach birth feeling fearful, disempowered, and vulnerable to intervention, and therefore vulnerable to birth trauma. She also found through her research that redesignating menstruation as a spiritual phenomena enabled women to dismantle their menstrual shame 
connect with their female spirituality and give birth fearlessly and powerfully. And for some, the profound spirituality of birth transformed their understanding of menstruation. Wow, that's amazing. The other thing about menstrual shame is not just being shamed of your blood or your period or whatever. Menstrual shame leads to body shame, leads to a whole world of things, including low self-esteem, which leads to all manner of wounded behaviors, including eating disorders, self-harm, and risky and dangerous sexual decision-making. Mm-hmm. Menstrual shame encourages women and girls to reject their menstrual cycle. If you reject your menstrual cycle, you reject your body. You reject your body and you're lost, right? And rejecting our body, we also, when we reject our menstrual cycle, we reject our compass. Mm-hmm. Like the menstrual cycle is running our life and everybody who lives under the same roof. Yes, We really need to understand the significance of menstrual shame. And then once we know that, we need to watch how that plays out in us and look for all the opportunities to do something different. But in terms of how to celebrate it, that's the fun bit, right? So basically, as I mentioned earlier, girls who are coming into adolescence, puberty, their blood coming soon. So first of all, you get the odd pubic hair. And then the little tiny, lovely little breast buds and then the the curvy shape and all of that. And at some point, usually probably about two years before the first sort of thing starts to happen, then the blood comes. And so what we want and what we want for our girls, our young women, is that they know all about that way before it happens. You know, I was involved in some research and about the qualitative experience of menstrual cycle and menopause with the Victorian Women's Trust. It was called the Waratah Project. And what we found from around 3,500 women who answered the questionnaire, that 34% of the girls, when they they started their menarch, 34%, so that's like a third, had no idea what it was. And they thought they were dying. You too. Like that is completely. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's inexcusable and it's so totally repaired. Everybody needs to know. And so we need to come up, we need to help our girls come up to Menarch knowing what's going on and getting ready. I see mothers making the men's, the Menarch bo- gift box and crocheting the, ble- the bleeding rug and collecting all the little trinkets and whatnot and, and pads and menstrual cups and all the stuff and then giving it to her and honoring her when the blood comes. But only to the level that she wants, you know, we can't force this on my daughter. She totally rejected all of this. She didn't want to know about any of this. So that's another little caveat. It doesn't matter what you think and what you're doing. You can't actually expect that your children are necessarily going to go along with you all the time. And that's got to be okay. But they learn from what you do as well as what you say, more from what you do. So then a party, like have a circle at least where... The other girls who have reached men are come, or those who haven't too, maybe you couldn't leave out some people and then mum and auntie and, you know, all women, I think is a great thing because it is an initiation into the sisterhood. And that's something we have to heal too, the wounded sisterhood. But then maybe there's a dinner with mum and dad and a gift and, and all of that. So if, so that whatever happens is going to stay with her. She's going to be in a circle and everyone says, Can, does anybody remember their menarch? She will. So we remember things based on the amount of emotion that arises for us during the experience. So that's what we want, a positive, emotional, emotionally positive experience for these girls that they feel special and that they feel, like you said, a legend, that they know, in fact, they're miracle workers. Yeah. And then it doesn't stop there. They need support because it's quite a journey figuring all of this out. In the same way, it's quite a journey figuring out how to look after a baby after you've had one. The other thing that I used to do is um, have maiden circles, like once every two weeks or so, where they would come together in their own little circle and we would talk about it, reinforcing everything. So they need to learn the wisdom of the cycles and they also need to learn or realize that not everybody is having this approach and that a lot of their friends at school or whatever might think it's all a bit weird that their mother and 
um, celebrated their menarche. And so we have to prepare the girls for that, that there's still a bit of difference out there with how people do all that. So in terms of how to honor the sacredness of menstruation, the first thing to do is pay attention, notice her, notice it, connect to it. And when you do, what you're doing is you're hearing the voice of your womb, which is like a voice we need to listen to. And she she speaks through us all through the cycle with all kinds of different things at different times. And then there's the spiritual practice of menstruation, which is about really leaning into all the opportunities for personal growth and development that the cycle offers. In fact, the menstrual cycle offers more spiritual practice, more uh, personal development and inner work that you could possi- than you could possibly want. And <laughs> I've created the app, the Spinning Source yes. app, which yes. is the modern digital way to connect with your cycle and because we feel different every day when we have a menstrual cycle. So it's about connecting to that and learning all about it. No, while, also, we're, while we're there, Jane, I would... Say, I would... <laughs> so just let me say one more thing. I think that the Menarch Rites of Passage also needs to be community. So that's how we change everything, that it's yes. a community experience. Sorry to butt in. No, I, um, I wanted to talk about your app as well. I've personally used it myself and... I find, I love it. I've used many a menstrual tracking app and whatnot back back in the day. Not that I've had many cycles between so many children and breastfeeding in the last six years. But um, what I loved about your app is the bringing of all the different elements together. So not only do you see where you're at in your cycle, but you get to see where the seasons are at at the time and where the moon is at at the time. And I think it's really powerful to be able to see all of those and how they sync up and where you're at, just not as an individual, but in this whole wide world of nature and mother nature. And I think it's an amazing, I've never seen an app like that before that does it that way. And what I love as well is because I'm still educating myself, like this is information that is only coming to me in my thirties after already having become a mother. And so there's still so much I'm learning and I love about your app as well is that you get to see, let's say, an ovulation. It's not just, well, physically, this is what is happening. You're releasing an egg. You talk about the spiritual aspects of it as well and how as we're getting closer to our bleed, we're shedding things that we don't need and we're letting go. And I think there's really beautiful spiritual prompts in there that really remind me to go inwards and to look within and to become more in tune with myself and yeah I think that's really powerful because again it's something that I'm still learning I still remember I laugh about this so much but I still coming off the pill because I wanted to have a baby and ovulating like properly for the first time and going oh is this feels like to be horny when you're ovulating oh my gosh I really like my husband for this period of time (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's, it is crazy that I have not experienced this up and down of my cycle to know that, oh, I actually do feel more introverted before I bleed and I don't have a lot of energy and I don't want to do the same workouts I was doing and I don't want to be outward facing in my business. I don't want to do podcasts and all of that. And I actually started to get to the point where I started to actually try and construct my working schedule around my menstrual cycle and that was powerful too it was like genius I would go hard in ovulation when I had all this summer energy and I had all these like ideas and I you know really go hard and then I'd retreat a little bit and I found it really hard to rest initially and then I was like no this is okay like you are allowed to rest you are worthy of resting wasn't easy to start with but again now I can see I'm more comfortable with it so I get to teach my children that it's okay to rest and they get to see that. So we, what you were saying before about it's obviously important what we say, but it's so important what we do. That's how we teach our children. It's how do we treat our bodies when we are bleeding and when we are needing to rest and go inwards and watch a movie. And like you said, they probably love it because they're like, yeah. every day, we're bleeding. Chocolate and movies, yeah. And I used of my husband because this is a journey for him too obviously like his initiation into it was it's very harsh you don't talk about it you know like Catholic upbringing it was very shameful and 
he's really come to celebrate my cycle and just my fertility and my womanhood. And I remember him, like, I was really moody. I was just like up and down and round. And then I got my bleed and I was just off. And he just came up to me and said something like, hey, look, I'm still learning, but I totally acknowledge that in the last two days, that would have been really hard for you. This is my first bleed as well in a million years. It was big. And it just was this beautiful connection where he was like, I see you and I can see what you're going through and I totally appreciate it. And I'm still learning. That's amazing for you. And we're on this journey together. And I could have cried. I was like, this is the most beautiful moment between us where he so respects what my body does. He doesn't expect me to push through or he just is like in honor of what a female body can do. And so I feel so grateful because I know that then when our daughters go through this, it's not just going to be me championing this. It's going to be my husband too and my son too. And oh, I'm just so excited because I hear you talk about what it could look like. And I just think, I think about my initiation into motherhood first two times versus the second. And I just think, wow, imagine if these women with this body confidence and this appreciation and respect for how amazing their cycles are and how amazing their bodies are and their womb and they're so in tune with themselves and how that looks stepping into birth for the first time and motherhood for the first time versus the opposite. And I just think, oh, it gives me goosebumps at the thought of these women coming through just being like, I, I know myself and I'm confident and I trust myself. That was a huge journey for me as well with my third pregnancy and birth. I was like, oh, I have to trust myself. Yeah. Not only do I have to connect with myself, which I've never really done very well before, but I have to really trust that like my body knows what to do and it is perfect mm. and it's not broken, even though I had a big story that it was broken and that it needed things to fix it and all of these things. So it gets me really excited, just the thought of how we could turn this around and how we could change this. And yeah, we are. We 100% are. And I encourage everyone to download the app, the Spinning Wheels app, because I do think it is a really great way to start if you're feeling like this is all new and you don't know where to go. And it's such a beautiful way to start just looking at your cycle. And like I said, connecting in with where every other cycle is at. And having some like journal prompts of things that you could be thinking about and the spiritual elements of it. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about your app while we're here, Jane? Thank you. I'm glad it's helpful to you. And I, it's basically a combination of the spinning wheels, which I made like decades ago as an actual piece of cardboard on the cycle. And my 13 moons menstrual charting journal and handbook, plus my new book, blood rites, the spiritual practice of menstruation, plus all the seasonal stuff and the lunar stuff, all in this tiny little package for $1 a month or <laughs> cheaper if you get it for a year. And I've also made it with it not just being about a period tracking app. So it's, it also helps menopausal women to keep tracking their experience and their experience with the moon and um, a journaling process and health checks and stuff every day or whatever. And also for women who are pregnant and breastfeeding with no cycle back again, it helps you see the connection that you have with the other cycles, not just your menstrual cycle. Because if you don't have a menstrual cycle for whatever reason, whether that's because you're a male or you're pre-menarch or you're pregnant or breastfeeding and it hasn't come back yet or peri and post-menopause, you still have a cycle and the cycle is the moon, the lunar cycle. That's the blueprint for the menstrual cycle. So just to say that the app is more than just a period tracking app. And I've heard others say in the past, they've needed to use three different apps to get all the same information. Oh, wow. Yes. Cut the mental load, get one. <laughs> oh gosh, I love that. I'd love to talk now, Jane. So if, I feel like we have a really good understanding now of Menarch and how to really appreciate the sacred rite of passage that it is. But as you mentioned, how we do one rite of passage is how we tend to do the next. So let's move to the next one or the next big physical one, which is conception, pregnancy, birth, because that's what a lot of my listeners are in that phase of life. As I already mentioned in the first episode, my rite of passage was very similar from Menarch to birth. I can see a lot of similarities in how 
that was. And I've really had to turn that around for myself. And I've really started to lean into this different dimension of pregnancy, which I don't think is often spoken about. So I feel like mainstream sort of culture right now, pregnancy is still very much like, what's the checklist that I need to do? And what things do I need to buy? And how big is my baby every week? And um, what else, you know, what hospital am I going to birth in? And this is a real checklist. And I know this deeply because they were my first two pregnancies. That's what I was excited about. What maternity clothes am I going to wear? And all of these things. And I wasn't very touched, like I touched in with myself. I wasn't very connected to myself and I had very different birth experiences. But like I mentioned, my third birth turned that all around. I had a, this amazing empowered home birth and now I'm pregnant for the fourth time. And what's really coming up for me this time is this spiritual dimension to pregnancy and how, how different our intuition is while we're pregnant. I'm having vivid dreams, for example. I never dream and I'm really unpacking. Wow, this is so fascinating. I feel like I am connected in a different way to other you know, realms and energies and things like this. And I feel like so much is coming up for me that this little one is teaching me and trying to help me learn. And so I'd love for you, take it wherever you want, Jane, but I love how you speak about pregnancy and birth as our teacher and how it teaches us the lessons we need to know in order to be the mothers that we need to be. And I think I will quote you on this one because I really loved it. But when specifically talking about birth, you said that we have the births we need to have to teach us what we need to know about ourselves to take us to the next place on our life journey which is our journey to wholeness and I just think that really sums up how beautifully you speak about this given that I don't think this part of pregnancy is spoken about very often take it wherever you like but I'd just love for you to talk about the different dimensions of pregnancy and birth particularly the spiritual ones awesome thank you and congratulations to you (laughs) thank you And probably all you really need to do was notice it, I'm guessing. Yeah. 100. I, it's all I had to do was stop blocking it. It's like it was always there, but now, yes, I'm paying attention to it and I'm not just layered up in cortisol and distraction and numbing out and like all the things that maybe I was doing in the past. Mm. I'm just more aware of it. It was always there. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't know to listen properly. So Yeah, so that's it. So it's, this is not an impossible task. This is about, listen. this is a listening exercise. So basically the way I see it and many others that when we're pregnant, we don't just grow a baby. We grow ourselves into the mother the baby has come for. Now that may be a huge leap for some, but it's not that much of a leap because what we, humans need to make up stories so that we can understand things like that's just what we do right so the story i'm telling myself is that we choose our mothers and we choose our mothers and our fathers and we choose our mothers because of the life she will create for us and that's the life we've come for so there's no mistakes or anything and there's no good birth or bad birth no success or failure there's the birth and it's the story and so when you're pregnant Everything that arises for you, for one, everything that arises for us when we're pregnant is like an indicator of the tip of an iceberg. So what will arise will be some sort of emotion or reaction or fear or whatever that will show up as a behavior. And that could be like being grumpy all the time or scared or saying stupid shit to people and blah. And that we have to see as the tip of the iceberg, the only thing you can see that is actually connected to what's underneath the water, this gigantic rest of the iceberg. And the metaphor of the iceberg indicates to us that what we see is a very small part of what's actually going on. And it is all about what need has been met or not met at another time. So we have so much opportunity to to refigure out what we think about things, including ourselves during pregnancy. And that's not just like a fanciful thing. It's because of the way the hormones are working and they change the way your brain thinks. Brain works. And it, we go in more into a dominant parasympathetic nervous system response, which is where we heal and where we grow and we're connected to our body and our subconscious and therefore things arise. So Treat the things that come up and they'll come up in relationship. That's where most things come up. 
in your relationship, but also in your health, like how, if you get sick or something or wellness, and then maybe if you're like in a work-life balance kind of situation or in your sexuality, all the ways you are, all these things come up. So notice what arises and ask yourself, okay, what is this actually about? What do I feel here? What do I not feel here? What, where do I, how do I feel? Why do I feel so hardly done by again? And figure out what, how you feel. And then when have I ever felt like this before and before and try and track it back to hopefully the original or close to it situation that had you have those feelings about yourself or others in the first place, because pregnancy will bring everything up. It's like everything you thought about. It's like, it's all up for grabs again. You have a whole new idea about stuff because you're growing and you're growing into the mother this baby's come for, and you're growing into mother in your case, mother of four, right? So a mother of four is very different to the mother of three, who's very different to the mother of two and the mother of one, et cetera, et cetera. So each time this is huge. It's not like you have your first baby and then you've got it nailed. You change each time. And so what we can do, the story, storying that, that the baby has come to be with you, and then we can treat these things that arise as like, even like gifts from the baby to help us, support us to grow and become the best version, the most up-to-date version, actually, of ourselves. And then that, you know, that shows up in so many different ways. And what we know now, because we're so much more trauma-informed now in our world, thank goodness, because birth is one of the places where trauma-informed care has yet to arrive and is, thank the goddess, but basically it's in, the, it's in pregnancy and birth that you can have your previous traumas reactivate. Like people say triggered, I don't really know that word, but I'll say it because everybody uses it, but your childhood trauma can be triggered during these times of great change. And if you don't know that's what that, if you don't realize that's what's going on, it can be just so overwhelming. So that's what pregnancy is growing us as well as the baby. And then the birth is the teacher, you know, like we have the birth we need to have to teach us what we need to learn about ourselves. To take us to the next place. <laughs> and I know that to be true from being a midwife and from my own birth experiences. And so it's not just a teacher in terms of showing you what trauma you have that's unresolved. It's a teacher in showing you who you are and what you're capable of. So birth will teach us in a variety of ways. And I have created this concept called the birth formula, birthing formula, which is like a summary of all your births so that you can remember it and use that as the up-to-date version of you. And especially to remember it for the next birth, because if you don't remember what you've learned from your previous birth experiences, then you just have the same experience again, hopefully with the idea that you might learn what it's trying to teach you because it's a teacher, like life is a teacher. And then um, you need to remember all the teachings from your births for menopause because one rite of passage leads to the next. But in terms of um, the birth teaching, so it can be, birth can teach you something that you didn't do or didn't have, like some women learn about support because they didn't have enough or even any, and the, their birth could teach them that they need more support or more people around them or whatever. Um, my first birth taught me about surrender because I didn't surrender, but I didn't even know that I didn't surrender. And I didn't even know that I didn't know how to surrender. So this is a massive teaching for me, learning how to surrender because my first birth, I had an in-second stage cesarean after trying to push the baby out for four hours and I couldn't budge his head. I later realized the head I couldn't budge was my own because I was trying to, like I was in the driver's seat controlling it, which was my reaction from my childhood trauma was to not surrender because it's not safe to surrender. So I hadn't even realized that at the time. So my birth served as an unraveling for me to realize the fears that had been running my whole life that showed up in my birth experience. Yes. And then the thing you learn about yourself when you're birthing that baby, 
So let's say surrender for me in that first birth and he's nearly 38. So I, the quality you learn about yourself, oh, it's not just what you did or didn't do. It's also what you may have drawn on from deep within yourself to navigate the experience. So, you know, that could be trust, that could be strength, that could be intuition, like whatever. Then the quality that you learn is the quality you need to bring to mothering that child forever. Same now with my big boy, my firstborn, who's getting so old, which means I'm getting so old that if I don't surrender in my relationship with him as his mother, then we just end back up to that cervix, the head on the cervix thing for hours. It's very, very painful and difficult thing with a six, between a 65 year old and a 38 year old. So it doesn't stop after they, you know, groan. It's a forever thing. So our births, this is the same thing for dads or partners too. So whatever they learn from the experience, and it can be something they didn't do or didn't have or whatever, or what they had to draw on from deep within to navigate it, that's what they need to bring to their fathering or their parenting, whatever they're doing. So yeah. it's so important that we get this. And there's lots of growth in pregnancy beyond the belly. Like the, one of the most common things I've ever heard from mothers having their second baby is a really big fear of that they feel almost like sh ashamed to admit is how am I going to love my second baby as much as I love my first one? What's going to happen? And we can reassure everybody who's had more than one baby can reassure the mother who's having her second or whatever that your heart just gets bigger. So it's not as hard as we think it's going to be in that way. So all you have to do for the growth and lessons within pregnancy is be with whatever arises. You don't even have to go on a forensic dig to find anything. Just be with whatever arises. Check out what the vulnerability is that you're feeling and what that links to in terms of your previous experience probably as a child. I love and then that. the other thing, the other stuff that arises are fears. And I always say in my pregnancy workshops when I'm working with women, don't do that thing that people say, oh, don't think about your fear. You'll make it happen. In pregnancy and birth, do think about your fear. It's a clue. So our fears hold great clues about our beliefs. And often in pregnancy and birth, we need to examine our fears to see what the belief is that sits behind it. Because in order to have a fear, you have to believe something in particular that enables the fear. And half the time, maybe even more than half the time, the fear, we have inherited fears from our red thread or from our friendship circle or from the culture or from social media or the pop media. And half the time, we don't even believe the belief you have to have the fear. So pregnancy can also offer us a belief updating opportunity. Mm, I love all of that. I think that's such great food for thought for women to be sitting with. And I always encourage women to get a paper and pen. I find that's the easiest way for me anyway, to process all these thoughts. I think I, I know this experience to be true. This, you don't need to dig deep. Like things do just come up. Like you really don't have to search very hard. You just, you just need to be aware of them, right? And it's really interesting the word that you mentioned before for your son, surrender, because that's exactly what's coming up for me in this pregnancy. And it's been really fascinating to, to just lean into that. And I'm not going on some big therapy journey or anything like that. I'm truly just going, oh, this is really interesting. What is this meaning for me? And where is this coming from? And I, I'm feeling like so many things. I like sharing stories because I think it's how people relate. And so my, my story is that I find that I try to rigidly control things because obviously you know, something's happened in the past that I need to dig up and work out where did that originally come from. But all my friction points in parenting, for example, is when I'm trying to control a situation and I'm not surrendering and we're just butting heads, all of my kids. And I just keep telling myself recently, I'm like, just let go, Laura, just surrender, see what happens. And guess what? It's so much better. Everybody just falls into a beautiful rhythm. We're not butting heads anymore. I'm not trying to assert this control over something to try and make myself feel better. I'm, I'm just going surrender, Laura. And like 
you mentioned it too, and this is like, hopefully my parents don't listen, which I'm sure they don't, but like TMI, sexually, I remember you saying like you had to really go and learn to surrender because it wasn't always particularly easy to orgasm. And I've been leaning into that recently, how much I can have my walls up sexually where I'm just like, oh, I'm tired. I don't feel like it, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, let go, Laura, surrender. And guess what? I'm having the time of my life because I'm actually just letting go and just not trying to be so wound up all the time. So that's great. And then I think about my previous birth, whilst it was the most amazing transformative thing I've ever done, it was really bloody hard. Three-day labor, posterior, enormous amount of like challenge mentally and physically for me. Didn't sleep, all of that. And I noticed myself, this ties into the fear that you mentioned as well. Noticing myself with this birth, having a little bit of fear around, could I, like, I know I can do it. I survived and it was amazing, but that was big for me to have to go through a three-day labor. And I'm noticing I've got these like subconscious stories that like, that's how I labor now. I'm just a really long laborer. You know, that's just how it has to happen. And then I'm like, I wonder if given that I'm on this theme of surrender, I wonder if there was a part of me that was really resisting the process of labor. And that's why it went so long, because it was like, come on, Laura, let go. We're going to keep working here. And it's going to take a while until you finally let go. And it just clicked for me recently. And I thought, oh, I actually think that my labor doesn't have to be that long this time or that challenging. And maybe it will be. But I'm just really leaning into, if I could surrender, I actually think that I'm going to have this slippery fish, incredible birth. It's just going to slide on out of me and it will be within the day and it's going to be amazing. And that's what I'm really bringing into reality this time. And it's just been a really powerful turnaround for me to sit with all of that, notice what's coming up and then recreate these belief systems that I'm having. So I wanted to share that in case that does resonate with anyone listening. Because I'm sure it will. I'm sure we all have very similar. Yeah, because the sexual shame is part of menstrual shame as well. And and then where sex has been taken in our culture with the pornographication of our culture and sex being a performance and blah, blah, blah. Birth is a very sexual experience. That's It's the result of it, for goodness sake. Not always now because there's people getting help with that. However, one of the surrender you need to do to have an orgasm is the same surrender you need to do to have a baby. So I've written an article on this on my website, janeharvardcollings.com, called Orgasm as Preparation for Birth. So good on you. (laughs) And that's also another way to help partners. How can I support you? I don't know what to do. Apparently, it's a sexual experience. So it seems that what you need to do to help me is to stay in the zone like you helped me in the building to an orgasm. Oh, I can do that. Easy. So, you know. Great. Skip the birth class. Just that's all the preparation you need. (laughs) Exactly. Now, Jane, before we wrap this up, I'd love to know, and I know there's no just one thing, but what do you wish pregnant women listening to right now? What do you wish they knew that's not really taught in, say, the mainstream maternity care model right now if you could pick out one or two things that you really wish that they knew right now what would they be Mm. I think that and as I was saying earlier with all the birth trauma awareness going on now that is the the latest stats at the moment in New South Wales and they'll be the same pretty much the same in most all western places is that 41 percent of women have a vaginal birth that's hardly ridiculous and One in three have inductions, one in three have cesareans, one in three, blah, blah, blah. One in three have birth trauma. And so what I would like to be included in maternity care and preparation for birth is the the stories in our own, sorry, the fact that there's a lot that's already happened in your life that is going to play out in your birth. It's not just about going to childbirth preparation classes exercise classes, calm birth, hypnobirthing, whatever. It's not just about getting your own doula and midwife. You need to do the inner work, your own inner work to figure out how you were born and what the pattern is that's playing out there. The story of your childhood trauma and how that's impacted you. 
that was the main thing that played out in my birth, my childhood trauma. Then your first, your men arc. So your men arc, how did that, like your story, direct readout. And then your relationship with your menstrual cycle. Like if you've rejected your menstrual cycle forever, then no And if you've medicated yourself through your menstrual cycle, one thing leads to the next. And then any previous pregnancies, including t abortions when you were much younger, all of that stuff adds up to lead to the next thing. What I would love for women to know is that birth is not a random event. It's the culmination of your life thus far and a readout of your mindset, your beliefs, attitudes, and fears. And everything that's happened in your life so far has created that. So that is the inner work to do. And to also, if there's enough time before even getting pregnant, to really connect with your menstrual cycle. And then you are then especially during the bleeding, if you can listen, if we can listen to our bodies during the bleeding and our womb speak, the song of our womb, so to speak, then we're in practice so that we can hear what she has to say to us when we're in labor. In other words, we're in connection with our body and we can be the, the one body mind, which we are anyway, and we can move how our body wants us to move. And often that won't happen because women think, oh, I can't do that. That's a bit weird. But if you've practiced your, listening to your body and doing what your body wants you to do through your menstrual cycle, you're far more able to do that when you're in labor or mothering or pregnant. And the other two things that I would recommend is to prepare ahead with your village, need a village. So whoever that is, but make it a thing. If it's the, they'll your friendship circle or some of your relatives or whoever, but have your village, your circle that will hold you through the process. And also have a think about setting up support for breastfeeding later, because the biggest problem with breastfeeding is everybody getting too many different conflicting advice from so many people. So find one person you're going to listen to around breastfeeding and then I would also say, get over this ridiculous concept about thinking co-sleeping is a bad thing. It's the natural mammalian thing. We need to co-sleep with our babies too. And when babies stop crying, when they're on their own, that's not because they've just thought, oh, I've learned my lesson. They go into a nervous system response where they shut down because they realize no one's coming to get them. So do your preparation with your own inner work. Create your village and find your wise woman to hear, help you with breastfeeding. Oh, I love all that. That's such sound advice. On that, I just wanted to piggyback because I was just thinking about how I'm preparing for my fourth baby versus my first. And with my first baby, oh my gosh, I bought all of the things, a baby bath, a thermometer, a, oh, I just, I bought so much stuff. And it's just really interesting because we actually sold all of our baby stuff before we fell pregnant. And people are like, oh my gosh, are you going to buy everything again? I'm like, you actually don't need anything because a lot of these devices are to separate mother and baby, right? So what we need, all I need is a baby carrying and some nappies. I'm actually pretty sweet. Otherwise, I'll get some clothes, but like they sleep in my bed now. That's what I've learned over the years. So that's easy. I don't need to buy any sort of baby bedding. Um, they don't even go in the pram because they want to be on me all the time. So I don't really need to worry about the pram anymore. I just really need a baby carrier. So they're on my chest all the time. And it was just so liberating to look at my journey from number one to number four and go, ah, less is more because they actually really only need me. So it's fine. So yeah, awesome. I love that. Thank you so much, Jane. This is, yeah, been such a wonderful chat. I'm really excited to get this into the ears of women and I just know how powerful these conversations are. They genuinely are changing lives and generations for the better. And I just, I'm, I feel so privileged that you were able to share this with us. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Laura. Lots of love for your birth coming up. Thanks. Hello, mamas. I really hope that you love that episode as much as I did. I loved listening back to it and just nodding and going, yes, so much of this makes sense. And again, for me being in my third trimester with my fourth pregnancy right now, so much of what Jane talks about is really hitting home for me. And so much of this spiritual dimension of pregnancy is really hitting home. But I also loved, even for someone who hasn't really had a menstrual cycle in so many years because I've been pregnant or breastfeeding, I really love talking about the menstrual cycle. I myself have two girls and I think it is something that I never really grew up knowing much about. As I mentioned in the episode, I didn't even know that ovulation was really meant to feel like 
all of a sudden you're turned on, you want to have sex, you want to recreate life. Because I was so numbed out on the pill for so long. And so I just am so fascinated about the menstrual cycle and just diving into how we are as women cyclical beings. I find that so fascinating, even though that's not necessarily the phase of life I'm in right now. And I think the rites of passage feel so important for me now being a mother of daughters. I really want to make sure that the experience my girls have of their first rites of passage into womanhood really serves them well and tunes them into their bodies and their knowledge and their strength because that's what then carries them forward into their next rites of passage. As I also explained in the podcast, how I was introduced to my menstruation is very similar to how I was first introduced to pregnancy and motherhood. And I've really had to try and sit with that and turn the tables around for myself. And I'm accessing different parts of my knowledge and my wisdom and changing that red thread for myself. But I would love to be able to just give my girls a different experience. And so I think this conversation is so important. I would so love if you love this to share it far and wide with your sisters, your friends, your girlfriends. And please go and follow Jane. She is an incredible teacher in this space. She has many online and in-person offerings. And like I said, that incredible Spinning Wheels app is just a great start to get into her world and understand how to tune in with your cycle and really like where you're at in nature with the moon, with yourself. I think that's a really great place to start. So go and follow her. And as always, come on over and talk to me at Physio Laura. Let me know what your favorite parts of this episode were. I will be wrapping up the podcast very shortly. So we've got a couple of amazing episodes left to go before I go on a break to have this fourth baby. So if you don't want to miss out on any episodes, please come and subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. And I will catch you all next week. I hope you, wherever you are, you're having a wonderful day, wonderful time. If you're taking time out to listen to this podcast, I imagine you're having a great time. You've got some space in your day. And yeah, I thank you for being here. I'll chat to you next week. Bye. 